You're listening to the Whiskey Investment Podcast, the brand new show bringing you all the latest news, insights, panels and interviews on the world of whiskey investments. Dig deeper into the highest return asset class of the past decade and look beyond the numbers. The Whiskey Investment Podcast is brought to you by VCL Vintners, the UK's leading whiskey cast merchant. Find more online at vclvintners.london. Hello and welcome to this month's podcast brought to you by VCL Vintners, the London-based whiskey cask merchant which approaches the market from a financial perspective to maximise returns for clients. I'm Olwyn Gwilt, whiskey journalist and brand ambassador. In this month's podcast, we're going behind the scenes at VCL to speak with Martin Meldrum, the head of stock and logistics with the company. We'll be talking about how he chooses the best casks for investment and single cask bottlings, what some of the challenges are in managing whiskey stocks, and finding out what his desert island drams are. But first, a look at some of this month's biggest news stories. As we dive deep into a new year, many whiskey companies have their eye on investments. Highland Distillery Glamorangie announced it will invest tens of millions of pounds in its operations over the coming years, following on from its best year ever in regards to sales in 2021. Meanwhile, positive results from investment in whiskey aren't just coming from Scotland, but from Derbyshire, where couple Max and Claire Vaughan, who set up the White Peak Distillery in 2016, announced the first bottles of their whiskey were set for release following on from years of work and investments of £1.4 million in their dream project. And finally, the Macallan continues to set records with the release of its latest whiskey, an 81-year-old called The Reach. The oldest whiskey to be released from the distillery is priced at around £92,000 per bottle, having been put into cask in 1940. Around 288 bottles are available worldwide. And now to this month's podcast, where we learn more about the exciting world of cask selection with Martin Meldrum. Martin, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure. Now, first off, can you give the listeners a little bit of background into what you do at VCL and how long you've been with the company? Yes, well, I uh, joined VCL Vintners back in May 2020. My role currently, I look after all the stocks and the logistics of the stocks. And I also look after the spirit for bottlings. So for our independent bottling arm of the company. Wow. So a really, really fascinating part of the business. But how did you first get into the whiskey industry, as I assume you were in it before joining VCL? Yes, I was. Back in 2008, well, most of my career I was spent in soft drinks. And in 2008, I joined a company called Beverage Brands, who owned WKD. Joined as general manager of Caledonian Bottlers, who were the bottler of the WKD brand. After a few years, I was approached to join a whiskey company called Angus Dundee Distillers, who gave me the opportunity to be general manager of operations with them. That was my first introduction to the whiskey industry, uh, and I've always been kind of keen to get involved in it. From there, I left in uh, 2012, and I did a project with Glenn Turner for Bulk Spirit. So I built a tank farm. Uh, I looked after that as a project manager, and that was for 8 million litres of grain whisky. It was the biggest in Scotland at the time. And then I moved on to William Grant's and Sons, where I looked after spirit supply. So we were distributing all over the world tankers of single malt, blended, and single grain whisky. Over 90 million litres per year. VCL got in touch. I had a conversation with them. 
They told me what the role was about, which was very interesting. I was keen to get involved. The part where they were looking to launch some independent wetlands was really interesting to me. So I took the jump and went to VCL Vintners. Fantastic. So you've had a real array of experiences across the, the Scotch whiskey industry, as you say, working for some of the largest producers of things like grain spirit. I'm assuming you were down at Girvan as well, working across W William Grant and Sons and their projects at the big grain distillery. Yes, I was, yeah. Yeah, amazing. So yeah, huge operations. In terms of moving over to VCL, as you said, you focus on selecting spirit for bottling uh, for the independent bottling range, which must be really interesting when you're kind of getting into that nitty gritty. I mean, what do you find the most exciting part of that role? Well, for me, the nosing and the sampling of, we have many casts that I can select from. So I do a selection and I get some samples sent to me and I do a bit of nosing and sampling. And then I run them by some other people in the industry and think, get their take on it. And then I choose what we're going to put in the glass. I do some finishing as well. So it's all quite interesting when you're, so you're either going to finish in maybe a port pipe or a sherry cask maybe a PX or an Oloroso. I find that quite interesting, how the character changes of the spirit. So that's really interesting for me. And then ultimately the final result, on the first two bottlings that we carried out, we finished one in a port octave and one in a sherry octave. They were very small batches and the final products were absolutely delicious. That's really quite fulfilling. Yeah, I can imagine seeing it really from the start of the process, making those decisions and then seeing the final product. Brilliant space to work in. For our listeners who maybe don't know, can you explain a little bit more about an octave and what that is? Well, an octave is a, a smaller cask. It's one of the smallest casks that we would use for finishing in. And it holds up to 50 litres and it'll season quicker. So the spirit, because there's more contact to the wood, Rather than putting it into the large kind of hogshead sherry butt types, there's more uh, contact with the wood, so the, the shorter the finishing time. Not shorter the maturation time, shorter the finishing time. You said you were experimenting, sorry, I'm fascinated by this space and the maturation space. You said you're experimenting with a few different types of wood. When you do those experimentations, do you test them out in small batches in each one to see which you want to go with, or do you just kind of go with your instinct on which one to choose, say the PX over in Oloroso or? Well, I tend to find that you know what spirits kind of match what type of wood that you're looking for. So if I have a space for say, I would maybe put that into Oloroso. If I have a highland or an island, maybe do a bit of port with that. It depends how the spirit's matured and what it's like when it first comes to you, because it might just be fine and you don't want to do anything with it. And it depends what market you're going to target as well. You know, if you've got an Ailey whiskey, which has got quite a heavy peat in it, you might not want to finish that at all because the market that you're going to want a heavy peat. Yeah, exactly. That's what they're looking for. It's already just had that character come through in that initial cast maturation. Wow, really fascinating. And would you say, obviously, you've worked in this space for almost two years now, specifically with VCL. Um, over that time, would you say more Scotch whiskey companies have pulled away from selling casks? to ensure they have enough stock to satisfy demand of their consumers? And if so, are you finding it a challenge when it comes to finding good options for those independent bottlings? That is one of the biggest challenges that we seem to be facing, especially since Brexit and the pandemic. 
where we find some of the distillery owners are very protective of their stock. And one of the reasons for that is since the pandemic started to ease and the Brexit rules are now, people are now comfortable with what that means for the industry, we're starting to see a huge uplift in volumes from the distillery named products. They're seeing an uplift in sales and an uplift in value. So they want to protect their own investments, to be fair. What I can see is it's very sometimes very challenging to get your hands on some good stock. We keep trying, and it's about building relationships and making sure that those relationships are sustainable going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, a positive benefit from your experience is you've worked with many different companies across the industry. So, And the industry in Scotland is very much based on uh, long-term relationships, as you say. Yeah, absolutely. You, you see a lot of peaks and troughs in this industry. You'll see ups and downs and what happens. I think we're in a down at the moment. That's why there's a protection blanket being thrown over the stock. And as we start to come out of that, as we can see green shoots of that just now, with the, the volumes are going up for sales, especially in glass, the volumes are going up for sales and also for bulk. So when you see that starting to go up, what you'll see is maybe the blanket being released a little bit when it gets to near the top of the precipice. Need to do something with it. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And understanding those um, those peaks and troughs is no doubt pivotal to what you do. Um, when you're looking at those casks that are coming in, or maybe you're getting samples of, what is it that you're looking for that you feel will make a good single cask bottling? Because obviously that's quite a different space than making a, a single malt or a blend. Of course, you really need to have that spirit, that liquid shine. So what are some of those things you look for? Well, I'm looking for different characters in the spirit. So from the regions, you've got nine distilleries on Isley, and every one of them has a different character. You're looking for the character. You're looking whether you're going to try and add to that character by finishing that in a different type of wood. You're going to Speyside, you're looking at the characters in the Speyside. Some, some are light and floral and some are vanilla, candy flossy characters. So what I'm looking for when I'm selecting is what do I believe that, first of all, what my market's looking for. So if it's the UK market, I'm looking to just kind of keep the natural distillery character within the product. If I'm looking to go abroad, I'm looking to maybe, maybe I'll finish it in, for Asia and Taiwan, maybe they like sherry. And then you've got France that like port finish. I look for a lot of different things. I look for colour. I look for the viscosity of the spirit. So how it feels in the mouth. I look at it on the glass to see the legs of the spirit. And I'm just looking to make sure that it's a quality product at the end of the day that I'm going to put in the glass. And would you say that these things, those key characteristics supersede age? So would you say that it doesn't necessarily matter how old the spirit is, if it's good, or are you looking generally for kind of a, a minimum age statement for the types of single cast bottlings you'd want to, to choose? My own preference is that I don't think age matters. I have done a lot of sampling with younger spirits, five years and on. And I believe that if you have a good character within the spirit, there is a market for the younger spirits. However, age does play a role when you are depending on the connoisseur. If I go into the Asian China market, they're looking for age because it's about prosperity and so age does play a huge part. I mean, that's, I think, the thing when you look at bottles on a shelf, it's always surprising to think how many decisions have to be made 
before that whiskey ever gets to the end consumer, isn't it? When you go through just some of the things you're talking about now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, many years ago, I think about four or five, maybe even longer, that the introduction of non-age statement spirits started hitting the shelves. That was driven by a couple of things, in my opinion. That was driven by some lack of age stock. So we could drive some non-age statement, take the age off it, but without taking away the look of the product, et cetera, et cetera. And you're starting to see that dwindle now because we're in a healthy position with stocks. We're heading towards this peak now. My view is you'll see less and less of the non-age statement spirits and you'll start to see more coming in with ages on them. If I have an eight-year-old spirit, it should be any different to having a 30-year-old spirit except for the price because there's less of the 30-year-old spirit. The market, we're trying to go and sell that spirit. And if it's China, the older, the better. That's what they're looking for. And for you um, personally, because obviously, as you say, many of the decisions you're making might be market-based or availability-based, Is but as a personal choice, are there certain flavor profiles or styles that you prefer either to work with or just to enjoy as well? My preference is Speyside. I like the Speyside, the characters of the Speyside region. And I like the vanilla toffee aromas that come through on the nose. And then I like the lasting taste of raisins and grapes on the tongue. That's where I would prefer to go. Buna Haben, and I've mentioned the brand name, but Eile, is uh, the Buna Haben brand is, for me, is a fantastic brand. And again, I like, you've got a bit of the saltiness and complements the toffee and the, the sweetness. So that's where my favourite would lie. Are you able to talk any more about the upcoming independent bottling releases or is it all uh, under cloak and dagger for now? <laughs> we are just about to launch I have bottled two Strathclyde single grains, both 29 years old. They are exquisite spirits, and a lot of people don't reset to single grains. A lot of people just tend to go single malt, single malt. But these spirits have been they've been sleeping for nearly 30 years, and the liquid is absolutely stunning. One's going to be released at 40% ABV, and the other one's going to be released at 42% ABV. So that's two that are just imminent. As you already know with the platinum bottling. And then I've got another couple planned, which I will not discuss at the moment. Maybe a trilogy. Oh, very exciting. Seeing as you've just mentioned that now, can you tell listeners a little bit more about the platinum bottling? Yeah, the platinum bottling is, uh, we've chosen a spirit, which I won't name, but we've chosen a spirit and it's a 30-year-old spirit. And the character of the spirit is fantastic. But the spirit, we've selected a special bottle and a special presentation box. And the story is going to follow. The the cast was sleeping through the years of the Golden Jubilee, Royal Weddings, the Diamond Jubilee, the Queen's 80th birthday, her 90th birthday, all the different celebrations that's happened while the cast has been resting. And now we're going to release it to celebrate our Platinum Jubilee. The distillery that the spirit comes from also won a Queen's Award for Enterprise. So there's a little bit of a connection. And a little clue as well, which I always like. <laughs> I've actually been working on it today. I'm uh, very excited about it. I think it's going to be a smash. Excellent. Oh, well, look forward to uh, getting to hopefully hear more and potentially even taste a little bit of that whiskey. It sounds fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the reason for the story behind it is because what we believe the Queen will do when she's celebrating her, her Platinum Jubilee is she will remember back to special events like her golden, her diamond weddings. 
So that's why the story's there about this cask was resting during those events, and now it's unleashed to celebrate her Platinum Jubilee. Oh, well, one to look out for, absolutely. Obviously, we've spoken a bit about the Independent Boss Leagues and what work you do behind the scenes, which is very fascinating. When it comes to selecting casks for investments, what are, at the minute, would you say some of the biggest challenges in that space? And how different is it comparatively to, say, the work you do within the independent bottling space? It's quite a similar challenge that it's availability of cash or investment. But once you have the cash, it's about coaching your investors. Some investors, there's a lot of millennial investors about at the moment. And when they come through to our team, the team have to tell them about the whiskey and, and, get, and tell them a story about the liquid. So I do, I have done some coaching with the team and it's been fantastic. And the guys have taken it, guys and girls have taken it on board fantastically well and we're seeing the fruits of sharing the knowledge. So that's quite rewarding. But the biggest challenge is, is the event. Someone will come on and ask to invest in a, a cask of Macallan, 35-year-old or 36-year-old. And the availability of that type of spirit is is very difficult to come by. So it's about realising, having them realise that there's a good investment in other distilleries. It's not just about the big names. That's a challenge. And that's where the coaching comes in. Yeah, very interesting. Because as you say, especially depending on which market the person is based in, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of mostly UK investors here, but just generally looking at the Scotch whiskey market, there are those few big names that, that really stand out and people don't always realise there's excellent value in, in other distilleries out there and a huge array of, of distilleries to choose from from Scotland. So as people become more interested in this space and as there are potentially limitations to get a hold of casks, what would you say or would you say are any key watchouts for those interested in investing in this space? Well, the key watchouts are just be aware that there's people out there that are uh, they're offering stock for sale that doesn't exist. And it's been in the press and it's, there's been a lot of blogs about it from whiskey writers, etc., about the investment companies that are out there that people are losing money with. So in my view, you go to a reputable company. If you're going to invest in buying Casa Whiskey, go to a reputable company. VCL Fintners, for me, has been about for a long time. I believe they're the number one in the industry. They're very transparent. So that's what any person is looking for is transparency so that they can see the process from start to finish. If you can't see that process from start to finish while you're trying to invest in whiskey, stop and go to a reputable company. So that, to me, is the biggest watch out. A very fair point and something I'm sure people will be keeping an eye on as time goes on, as potentially more companies pop up. And being wary, I think, is probably a key word. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Is there anything that you, a bit like the independent bottling space, is there anything that you particularly look out for what would make a cask a good investment? Some coaching around that space, but, but as somebody who's choosing those casks, maybe why you would choose those ones specifically or what you would recommend to people? My view on people's choices are commonly said phrase in the industry where one man's meat is another man's poison. So whiskey is very much like that. People ask me quite a lot what my favourite dramas, and I don't tell them what my favourite dramas. to be honest with you. I can't influence their nose and their taste. And it's the same in investment. If people look to come into investment to make a 
200% return on investment. You're in the wrong area. If you're looking to medium to long-term investment, I would say most distilleries in Scotland are a good bet. And as it matures, it only gets better. That would be my keywords for anybody that's going to invest. Medium to long-term and any distillery. The whiskies are stunning. Really are spoiled for choice in Scotland. And I think, I think it's a good reminder, especially as maybe people haven't had the chance to travel to Scotland over the last couple of years and experience that themselves in person. Because I know, and I'm sure you know, that standing in a warehouse and actually smelling the, the maturing whiskey is something extremely special and creates those connections and reminds people, as you say, that there are, you know, over a hundred whiskey distilleries around Scotland. So really, really spoiled for choice. Yeah, it's absolutely phenomenal. Two weeks ago, I spent some time down at an Alolan distillery down near the, the borders. It's exquisite. The sensory around it, it's just, it's amazing. And all distilleries have that, not just the big boys. That's my advice to people who want to invest, medium to long term, and anybody. Keep an open mind, absolutely. All right, well, on that note of all those beautiful sensory elements, Desert Island Drowns, Martin, I've got to ask you, what whiskey or whiskies would you take with you if you could just have one or two forevermore? Well, I would only take two. They're not my favourites, but they're ones that I would go into the cabinet and take out regularly when I want to treat myself. So if I'm on a desert island, I'll be wanting to treat myself quite regularly. So I would take a Craggenmore 25-year-old. That is a nice, nice one. And Craggenmore doesn't get spoken about much, does it? I think people forget about it. Great whiskey. That's a note to my last piece of the conversation. There is distilleries out there that people don't talk about a lot. So Craggenmore would be, 25-year-old would be one that I would take. It's just a lovely dram. Depending on the age, I like 25-year-old. It's got a lovely toffee, raisin know about it and it's just nice and the one I would take for sitting in the sweet sunny evenings in a desert island would be a Boonahaven 30 year old oh that's unfair now I want now I want to be able to have one of those the last time I had a Boonahaven 30 it was a very long time ago absolutely blew me away so fantastic choices and definitely if any listeners out there are able to get their hands on a, on a dram of either of those you're in for a treat because they are both stellar whiskies so the last but not least I would take is uh, the nine-year-old Royal Brackler Port Finish from VCL Bottlers Independent. It is an absolutely stunning dram. So that would be my Saturday afternoon dram on a desert island. <laughs> if you were still keeping track of the days of the week on a desert island. <laughs> yeah. Wilson, is it a is it a port finish day or is it a <laughs> a Bunnehaven day? Excellent. Fantastic, Martin. Well, thank you so much for joining us this month on the podcast. It's been really fascinating to get a better understanding of what you do behind the scenes and also just get a better idea of how cask selection works for independent bottlings and of course for the cask investment side. So I'm sure everybody listening will have learned a thing or two, if only to know which whiskey to go and buy a dram of immediately. <laughs> Okay, Owen, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much, Martin. Thanks so much for joining us for another whiskey podcast from us here at VCL Vintners. I hope you'll agree that was a fascinating insight into how whiskey casks get chosen. Make sure to tune in next month when we'll be exploring more stories in the world of whiskey. I'm Owen Gwilt, wishing you an enjoyable and whiskey-filled month ahead.